Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. So I've done my research. Tomorrow morning, it begins to get light at 6.05. Five minutes after 6, the first glimmer of daylight... The sun doesn't rise until 7.32 tomorrow. So let's say we set our alarms for, I don't know, 5 o'clock, 5.15. Throw on some warm clothes, grab something hot to drink, although it's 38 tomorrow morning and, and not so cold. Let's say... We all drive out to Bear Wallow Mountain, hike to the top, and watch the sunrise. It does sound great, doesn't it? Now, I, I know what you're thinking. I would do that if I didn't have to be anywhere else at 8 or 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, and if I was accustomed to being able to get up at 5 or 5.15, and I, I do that if I was in physical shape to hike three-quarters of a mile, mostly uphill, and, and I would do that if certain conditions are right. But if all the conditions are right, it does sound great, doesn't it? Watching the sunrise? You know, this, the sunrise, you know, that's what chases away the, the, the gloom, the sun, the sunrise signals a new day and new possibilities and, and new hope. Uh, the sunrise, watching the sunrise is one of life's sweet pleasures. At the beginning of the reading that we just read, this last one, mention is made of John. John's the one, of course, who baptized Jesus. And then we find out is for a year after Jesus is baptized, Jesus conducts his ministry, his preaching and teaching and healing, mostly in and around Jerusalem. And John is also close by. John is out at the Jordan, and he's still baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. But, of course, now he's saying that the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. He's certainly identifying Jesus as that Lamb. People are coming out, much to the chagrin of their, of their leaders, their religious leaders especially, coming out from Jerusalem and the surrounding communities to listen to John. And then he, he confronts an earthly king. John tells King Herod, it's not right, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. King Herod does want, not want to repent of his adultery, so he has John arrested, has John shackled and put, put in his, his infamous dungeon. In the meantime, apparently, the religious leaders are thinking, Maybe we could have this done with Jesus as well. We could get him in trouble with King Herod, have him arrested, eliminate him as a rival to us. So Jesus relocates his ministry after one year. And he goes back down to his homeland of Galilee, and he's going to serve there pretty much full-time for the next two years. And when, when he goes to Galilee, it's like... The dawn of a new day. 
It's like a sunrise for those people. The, the people living in Galilee historically had, had not paid a lot of attention to the, to, the, to the light of God's truth. So when the Israelites came back from Egypt and they divided up the land, remember how those maps looked? You know, this tribe settled here, this one settled there. The tribe that settled Sea of Galilee to the northwest of the sea claimed those hills was the tribe of, of Naphtali. And Zebulun was straight west of the lake. And the way of the sea along the Mediterranean was claimed by two, two other tribes. And across the Jordan to the east, two more tribes settled there. And what they all had in common with one another is they abandoned those great promises that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The very God who had rescued them from Egypt, them and their ancestors, they they rejected him. And instead, all those tribes <clears throat> pretty much adopted the gods, the false gods, the deceptive gods, the death-dealing gods of the people among whom they lived. So that there was really no distinction after a while between those descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and those, those pagans that they lived among as we heard from the prophet Isaiah, it was, a, it was a land where they have no light of dawn. They were an angry people, he writes about them. They look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. But then after one year of public ministry, Jesus comes. And it's like a, a light dawns. It's like, it's like the sun rises. He's, he's healing the blind and he's putting the, the crippled back on their feet. He's proving that the true God is both powerful and merciful. He's speaking God's truth plainly for anybody to understand so that consulting mediums and spiritual gurus was totally unnecessary. They could, they could hear him speak and explain the scripture with authority. And he's talking about God's forgiveness, how the one true God is the only one capable of smashing the yoke of guilt that's on everybody's shoulders. In the words that St. Matthew quotes, all this was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of, yeah, sea of Galilee, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Several of you may be old enough or enough of a, of a sports fanatic that you remember the story of Pete Maravich. Pete Maravich was the the Michael Jordan and Steph Curry of the late 1960s and early 70s. Came onto the national scene as, a, as, as a, an all-everything player for the basketball team at LSU, Louisiana State University. He could do things. He had skill and style that nobody else had ever seen. Behind the back passes. In competition, putting on dribbling performances like he was performing for the Harlem Globetrotters. Had shooting ability nobody had ever seen. 
during his college career. Before there was a three-point line, in other words, the opportunity to score three points with one basket, Pete Maravich averaged 44 points a game. He had these ugly gray socks that he wore for every game of his college and professional career, felt that if he didn't wear his lucky socks, he'd have a terrible game. Later on, it was revealed that for all of his success and all of his fame, Pete Maravich was a painfully lonely individual. He had no real friends. He'd suffered bouts of depression where he frequently contemplated suicide. He, other than pursuing his sport, the only thing that he devoted himself to was drinking. He later on spoke of, 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 of enormous amounts of alcohol that he was consuming for most of his waking hours. Pete Maravich, for all of what he publicly, publicly appeared to be, was being consumed by the darkness. And then at age 35, he had these conversations with his father. And his father kept telling him about Jesus, and for the first time in his life, the word of Christ took hold in his heart. And he realized that in, in Christ, for all of my lying to myself and my lying to others, in Christ is the truth. And as his father brought the word to him, he learned that there was forgiveness for him. Full forgiveness, free forgiveness for him in Christ. He became a confessing Christian. Five years after he became a believer, Pete Maravich was playing a pickup basketball game with friends. He had friends now. And his heart unexpectedly gave out and he died on the basketball court, age 40. But not really a tragedy in this sense. The last five years of his life, he was finally content. He finally had peace. Last five years of his life, he was a, a loving father to a, a loving husband to his wife and a, and a genuine father to his children. He became kind of an evangelist, spoke to thousands of people at a time and also one on one, all because, not of his own doing, all because of light had dawned. The light had dawned. I like the story of Pete Maravich because it's a pretty compelling story. Maybe a little more interesting than mine or yours. And yet, do you realize that that light keep, keeps dawning? The light of Christ dawns by his word to chase away silly superstitions that you have and to help you recognize that your truth and your protection is, is Jesus. The light of Christ dawns as by his word he, 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 he puts an end to a destructive habit and replaces it with that, that which can give glory to God. The light of Christ, he dawns to for all of your own destructive sins, 
tell you of forgiveness, free forgiveness, full forgiveness in him. Every time he comes with his word, it's like watching the sun rise and realizing that darkness, that goes away. And I find my peace and my hope and my, my day and all my purpose in Christ. St. Matthew tells us that Jesus was walking along the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he comes across two men brothers, Simon called Peter and, and his brother Andrew. They're, they're not unknown to him. He's met them before. A year earlier, they, they followed him now and then. They had seen some of the things he had done, heard some of the things he was teaching. But now they're going to leave their nets behind full time. Jesus says, come follow me. And, and Peter and his brother Andrew follow him from that day forward full time for two full years and really the rest of their lives. And then Jesus keeps walking along the shore. Two other brothers, sons of Zebedee, James and John, also engaged in the fishing business. Jesus calls them too to follow him. They leave their nets and do that. Imagine being with them for the next two years that you too would stand with them as Jesus is preaching to the thousands along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and feeding them miraculously. Imagine you're sitting in a room as he's answering questions with the authority of the Son of God. Imagine being in a synagogue with him as he's teaching. They, he, they unroll the scroll for him and he, he reads the very word of God, his own word, and then, and then explains it. Imagine that. And yet maybe that isn't something you just have to imagine because he's still your teacher, isn't he? He speaks to you from his very own word oftentimes explains this passage from his word from the, with that passage from his word. You open the scriptures and you realize whatever you're reading, that's, that's coming from the Lord himself with the authority of the Lord himself, and it's true. It's, it's light for my darkness. Imagine being with, with those four men and the other eight, you know, the twelve, as collectively they... They hear him proclaiming the kingdom of God. So he's saying things about himself as king that no other king or, or political leader could deliver on. Telling them about how he would go up to Jerusalem and give up his life on a cross. And though their minds resist that, and you're with them in that crowd wondering, really, is that the way he's going to rule? He confirms it, of course, by doing that very thing. You don't have to just imagine that, do you? Because the king still speaks to you, still comes to you, gives you his very body and blood that he offered up on the cross for you. In his kingdom, you've memorized his promise that in all things, your king is working for the good of those who love him. 
that's a practical light to have. Or what would it have been like to be with Peter and Andrew, James and John as they're bringing all these people to him? People with leprosy and with, 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 with limbs that don't work and with, with limited ability to hear and as St. Matthew writes, he's healing every disease and sickness. Every single one that they bring to him, he heals. Imagine that. And yet you maybe don't have to imagine. Because when you bring the sickness and the disease of a loved one or your own to your Lord Jesus, every time healing is for their eternal good, or yours, he heals. Every time it's for someone's everlasting good, he heals. And when his intent is that illness, that disease, will turn someone away from herself for solutions and back to him, when he realizes, I'm so frustrated with this, I need the Lord to give me strength and courage, when he draws someone close to him, or when finally, after disease or illness, he takes someone home to heaven, he's still functioning as the great physician every time. You don't have to imagine that. In faith, you get to, you get to see that. The prophet Isaiah referred to his land as a land of the shadow of death. Could he also describe our land that way? The Apostle Paul in one place wrote that the wages of sin is death. And in another place he wrote that all of sin. So you and I see in our own lives and look around us and realize that the mortality rate is 100%. And yet Peter and Andrew, James and John and the others, they witnessed not only the fact of Jesus' death on the cross on behalf of sinners such as them and such as you and me, they also were eyewitnesses to the fact of his resurrection. One of the writers says that Jesus appeared among those individuals for 40 days and gave many undeniable proofs that he was alive. So in that... Those eyewitnesses' accounts, we recognize that Jesus rose, and in his own words, someday we rise. Jesus lives, we live. We live in perfect light. I was, I was looking at the look on your faces about getting up at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning, and there was like, yeah, hmm probably looked at your weather app already and realized it's going to rain tomorrow morning, so maybe we won't do it then. But maybe there will be an occasion where you'll find a time, maybe with me, to go up in the parkway or hike to 
top of some mountain and watch the sun rise because there's there are few things quite as thrilling as that. At the same time, though, you've been paying attention to God's word today. And God, God's word really isn't, isn't about, you know, when the sun comes up on Bear Walla Mountain. It, it's about when the Son of God rises in our hearts and we hear him and see him in action and find in him this true light, a light that chases away the darkness of our sin and gloom, a light that chases away our fears, our worries, a light that grants us this peace and genuine joy. I praise God with you that not only has that sun come up this morning, but the light of Christ has dawned once again in, in your life and in mine. And I pray that that continues to be the case that each day, Christ Jesus, with his love and compassion and power and his joy, rises in your heart until he takes you to his everlasting light. God bless that in all of our lives. Amen.